0: welcome to tower talks with inside towers the wireless infrastructure industries podcast and now for your weekly recap a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways here's your host
1: welcome to inside towers week in review i'm leslie stimson inside towers washington bureau chief with me this morning is james fryer our managing editor this episode is sponsored by inside towers intelligence a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. It looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant M&A transactions, and more. Intelligence is designed for managers, marketers, and investors. An annual subscription also includes an exclusive briefing and online support. For more information, or to subscribe, visit insidetowers.com intelligence. For me, the biggest story of the week was the FCC uh, is seeking public input on the cost of utility pole replacement cost sharing. It wants to minimize disputes over utility pole attachments especially before the $65 billion of broadband infrastructure funding gets used from the administration's infrastructure law. So that's why the commissioners voted for nothing at Wednesday's meeting to seek public input on that. In the second further notice of proposed rulemaking, the FCC asks questions like, who should pay the cost of poll replacement when that isn't really clear uh, from a new attachment request and whether utilities benefit from various types of poll replacements. It asks if the FCC should require utilities to pay a proportional share of all replacement costs. Um, The commission seeks public input on what measures it should take to avoid disputes or speed the resolution of a poll replacement fight. During the vote, FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr Uh, said if the government is spending broadband dollars without streamlining infrastructure rules, it's stepping on the gas and the brakes at the same time. Specific to pole attachments, there is more we can do to avoid that outcome. FCC Chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel emphasized that access to utility poles cannot become an impediment to broadband deployment She explained the nitty-gritty, saying networks need to be designed, rights of way need to be negotiated, and fiber optic cable needs to be attached to utility poles, which are often owned and controlled by the local electric company or telephone company. And she said some of the companies in the process of building broadband have told the FCC that the cost of pole attachments can take up as much as one-third of the cost of rural deployment. She said, that's a lot, but that figure doesn't even include the time required to negotiate and strike agreements for access to each and every poll. Jim, you're gonna talk about American Tower and Digital Bridge.
0: Uh, Yes, Leslie, while uh, acquisitions within the good old US of A have slowed down over the last few years, um, they are still going hot and heavy overseas. Uh, all all over the world and uh, the uh, large count the large continent down under called Australia is, is no exception um, there is a uh, this is a rumored report but um, tower company called axicom which is owned by Macquarie, uh, the Australian based uh, investor investment firm um, might be putting its 2000 or so towers on the market and um the newspaper called the australian and also it was also confirmed by uh uh, by bloomberg that um they're saying that there's some activity there as far as bids being taken uh and some of the players in that bidding are uh no less than American Towers, and Digital Bridge, uh, who were uh, who were mentioned in that. Uh, Wells Fargo analyst uh, Eric Lubchow said that final bids are expected uh, in the next few days, by March 22nd, and that the the price is looking to be around a 20-time multiple, uh, about $2.2 billion U.S. is, uh, looks like it might be what the, uh, the, the ballpark they're talking about uh, uh, for, these, uh, for these sites. Uh, and uh, Eric said that uh, it seemed like the, the, that multiple seems a little bit low, uh, but he said that uh, the portfolio has a more urban orientation with 54% of the sites in the metro area, another 27% in, in suburban locations. And it's a combination of, of uh, rooftop and freestanding towers. But, but this AXICOM, has a, they have a national portfolio that's, uh, across Australia. 97% are, are ground-based as opposed to the rooftop sites. So it's a small percentage of rooftop. And um, there's been a lot of activity in, in Australia just over the past uh, few years with uh, wireless carrier, wireless carrier uh, Telstra where they sold off 49% interest in their tower business uh, to a consortium uh, and and, um, TPG Telecom was another one that recently signed a $740 million network sharing agreement which Eric Lubchow of Wells Fargo thinks that that all is having some impact on the potential valuation of the Australian tower deals. Eric said that he thinks that the, the deal would be a good one for American Tower, uh, since they, they really don't have any presence in, in the country, uh, in the, on the continent of Australia, other than a handful of a few land sites when they acquired InSight a while back. Uh, but Eric said that the, uh, the real question is whether an acquisition in Australia would have any impact on American Tower's desire to purchase the Deutsche Telekom assets in Germany, which are also in play and would be a much bigger deal for American Tower, uh, not just monetarily, but uh, also as far as uh, their their footprint in, in Europe. So uh, a lot of interesting things happening uh, across, across seas and, and the other side of the world. And we will continue to monitor that. As I said, this right now is sort of under the heading of being rumored. But um, when you see multiple sources coming out with the same rumor, then uh, where there's smoke, there's fire. So uh, we'll see, and if, and if bids are due March 22nd, um, then we will find out very shortly exactly what's, what's going on down there in Australia. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep you posted.
1: Indeed, we will. Thank you, Jim. Tower co's and contractors that use drones for some of their tower inspections will be interested to know that the FAA's Beyond Visual Line of Sight Aviation Rulemaking Committee, that's a mouthful, published its final report on March 11th. We have a link to that report in our story, by the way. The report provides recommendations for how to expand on the operations permitted by the FAA's Part 107 rules. Those were adopted in 2016. They enable routine operation of small uncrewed aircraft systems or drones. This is according to the Wiley law firm. The Part 107 rules establish conditions for UAS operations, including that the aircraft remains within the visual line of sight of the operator. But since those rules were adopted, the industry has been waiting for further rules that would allow for routine operations beyond visual line of sight. That would eliminate the need for waivers in order to conduct these flights. And while the report is an important milestone, the Wiley law firm cautions that the FAA must still conduct a rulemaking process in order to implement recommendations. Uh, They say the report provides some insight into potential future goals, but there's still a long way to go before routine beyond visual line-of-sight flights are a reality. And that brings us to the end of our podcast for today. Thank you for listening to Inside Towers Week in Review. For a complete rundown of the week's news, check out our Saturday edition. We'll see you in a week.